This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what is up, guys? We are back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. With me, I got AC. What's up, guys? And I got my boy, Eric. Yes, sir. So, with the NBA season approaching its midseason mark, we thought it only appropriate to have our little Rookie of the Year debate. So, I know for a fact that I'm going to go with my guy, Scotty Barnes. And I guess there's that Evan Mobley guy there, too. You know, he's okay at basketball. You mean, you know, nothing, you nothing mean, you mean the best rookie player? I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Just... uh, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of a debate here. But, AC, why don't you sort of show us or tell us how we're going to be going about this debate today? So, unlike the two of you, you know, the Knicks, we didn't draft any credible rookies, sadly. And, you know, I'm not a Raptors fan, so I, have, I don't have any rooting interest, nor am I a born-again Cavs fan like my guy Eric, who Praise, was a Cavs praises fan. Praises me, everyone. <laughs> praises me. <laughs> I think this is Eric's third go-around being a Cavs fan, twice with LeBron and now once. Well, at least maybe early in the season when uh, things were looking so good for his boy in, in L.A., he was he had his eyes elsewhere. Uh, what, what's, 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 that, what's that old colloquialism, three times the charm? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so... On his third time, Eric has found a new person, and that's Evan Mobley. So he's been rooting for this guy all season long. And in our text threads, the two of you guys have had a little bit of a debate about who you think is the Rookie of the Year. So for this episode, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to let you guys duke it out. And, you know, I know y'all are repping your guys. Eric has a lot of actual debate experience, so... Good luck, Aru, because he's he's legit when it comes to this type of thing. But (laughs) I'm curious what you guys have to say. So... Let's start with Anu. There's so much to talk about your guy. Tell me what he's bringing on the defensive end, night in and night out, for your Toronto Raptors. Well, that's a really good ask. And AC, let me tell you, this guy is a versatile defender, right? He has a really good body at 6'9", 6'10", around a 7'2 wingspan. That's NBA ready, so he can guard multiple positions, whether it be really quick point guards or, you know, the, the four or the five, right? He's able to sort of stay in front of his man or make great help side rotations to get a good block or get a good steal. You know, this season within 31 games, he's had a career best five steal game and a five block game. And that's incredible already. Right. So I think his defensive versatility is just fantastic. Holds him down guys. He's long. (laughs) (laughs) I know Eric always has to make that comment when I, whenever I talk about any forward, because it's the one thing that I love about all the forwards. You can call say whatever you want about it. It's getting hot on this podcast. <laughs> all right, Eric, what about you? Tell me what Evan Mobley brings on, specifically on the defensive end to your new squad slash old squad, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to keep it really succinct. He's a, shaping up to be a generational defender. He has shades of KG. He's incredibly versatile. And, like, his statistics, as far as his advanced metrics, defending interior, like, he's crumb de la crumb. And if you don't think he has an impact, 
you can do something as simple as look at the fact that the Cavs defense was one of the worst defenses last year. And now they're one of the better defenses, particularly when Evan is on the floor. So he's having an impact right now that generational big men have had historically in their first couple of seasons when put on bad teams. You really think that KG is is a fair comparison? I mean, that's one of the gold standard big men defenders. If that's a realistic comparison, then we're talking about a guy who might even win an MVP one day if he's that good of a defender. I mean, I mean, you've literally heard me say a bunch of times, this baby Bambi of a defensive player is a future MVP. I have no doubt in my mind that's his silly, that's a, that type of guy. That's a, a MVP caliber guy. And I thought this when we were coming into the draft that he had the highest ceiling of any of the players in the draft. And I thought that ceiling, though I thought his floor could be a bust floor, I thought his ceiling also could be a generational type of player just because of, of course, his length. His athletic ability, shit. We were talking about him doing backflips on the beach as a seven-footer. You know, shit like that. Like, it was always there. It seems that he's actually encapsulating and capturing what we saw at least on, like, just looking at him. So, yeah, I, I definitely think this is a future defensive player of the year, MVP caliber player. Well, to add to what you're saying, Eric, if you look at some of the advanced stats, courtesy of our friends at B-Ball Index, it really does show his dominance across the board. So he is in the basically in the top 20 percentile in a number of areas defensively from block rate to rim contest rate to rim deterrence rate. So basically interior defense, he's locked down. But he's still also in the 73rd percentile in perimeter defense, which shows his switchability as a big man who can do that. So it's kind of insane. But Anu brought up some of the value of Scotty Barnes as a perimeter defender. And his numbers are just as mind-blowing. He also tracks as a potential future multi-time defensive player of the year. This guy is a 98th percentile on on-ball perimeter defense. I mean, come on now. He's a rookie, right? On top of being in the elite percentile in terms of steals and deflections on a per-possession basis. And by the way, Scotty Barnes? He's guarding the most difficult players night in and night out. I mean, this might sound crazy, but he actually guards harder people than 94% of the NBA. And his versatility is literally the top versatility in the entire league. In other words, no other player guards more different positions than he does in the entire league. And this man is a rookie. So we're really talking here about two incredible defenders. Yeah, big facts. You know, I see that you mentioned that I always like thought to myself because I would watch a lot of the games that the Raptors would play and I would see Barnes, you know, take on all these matchups. I used to think it's just maybe too much for him. But what really stood out to me was that Barnes, you know, no matter who the matchup is, he always gives 110 percent. And he's learning so much on the fly. Every single game I watch him play, he's shoring up small mistakes. And that's a big thing for for rookies too, because, you know, rookies tend to make a lot of mistakes on the defensive end. But, you know, learning the nuances of NBA defense is extremely important. And I think Scotty Barnes is a sponge on that end. I think you're right. Uh, It seems to me like, and we're lucky to have this as fans, we might have 
Kawhi-level defender in the future while having also a KG-level defender in the future in the same draft. That's crazy shit. So given their incredible defense, basically across the board at the respective positions, I feel like it's difficult to pick between them based on that. So what about on the offensive end, Anu? What has Scotty Barnes shown to you on that end that makes you think that he deserves a Rookie of the Year award? I mean, outside of his incredible like rebounding, which pretty much leads him to getting second chance points on a consistent basis, to me, it's really his playmaking. Now, the numbers won't outright show that, right? He only averages about four assists if you round up. But what he does, to me, that's so special is he makes that connecting play, that sort of hockey assist, the pass between the pass to get a play out of it. On top of that, you know, the plays he's able to make remind me of other guys at his size, right? Like a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James. Now, I'm not saying that he's at that level. Of course he's not. He's a, he's a rookie still. But, you know, being able to make a read way well in, in advance before it actually happens, that's something that it's hard to teach for rookies, right? Like special players have that ability. Um, he's a decent finisher at the basket. You know, he has good roll gravity, too, when he does set screens. Um, a good mid-range shooter. He struggles at the three-point line, but hey, all rookies do, man. So I think really good offensive game as of right now that we can see. It's funny, Anu, that you mentioned that the maybe the traditional statistics don't scream playmaker when you look at Scotty Barnes. But the advanced stats make it very clear that this guy is already elite as a playmaker. So... His playmaking, overall playmaking talent on, on B-Ball Index is in the 94th percentile. And a lot of that is because his efficiency is in the 96th percentile on a pass. Like he does not make bad turnovers. His passes always seem to generate good offense. So for a rookie to already have that kind of a, a sense of court vision and feel, makes you think that even Kawhi Leonard offensively is not maybe an apt comparison. Maybe track a little bit more to someone like a like a Scottie Pippen, who was an elite perimeter defender on yeah. one end, but also a really good creator and generator of offense on the other end. No, exactly. And I think a lot of guys in Toronto, especially at the forward position, they're sort of like brought up and taught to be a point forward type player, right? I mean, look at Pascal Siakam for years. I, you know, I don't think he has that vision that a Scotty Barnes has, but they're brought up to play it that way. Take the ball off the glass, push the ball up the floor, make plays. And I think Scotty Barnes embodies that. But not to be outdone, Eric, your guy has also shown incredible playmaking across the board. I mean, he's another guy with, he's a 91st percentile in terms of pass creation quality and pass efficiency. So he's been a great playmaker. But tell me a little bit about the other things he, he's shown there in terms of a post player and just. So I want to point out one thing that you just, you just said, AC. Yep. Like his pass creation as he's a big I know it's a, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so, so we expect wings to be able to create a lot more than bigs. Like, but he holds his own as a creator. So one of the things coming into this draft, considering I saw him at USC, I had a high like esteem value of him as a defender, but as an offensive player, I was a little worried. Well. The versatility that he's shown on the defensive end, he's also shown as an offensive player. If you play him with Jared Allen, he slinks away to the perimeter. He shows like that he can hit perimeter shots, particularly mid-range two-pointers. His three-point shot is still coming along, but again, if you're at 30% as a rookie, I suspect as a rookie big, at some point, that can get up to be 
a shot that's at least respected, if not feared in the future. If you play him next to uh, like a, a stretch five guy, he's a guy that can bang down in an interior, which again, I was a little worried about because it didn't seem to me that his frame was exactly NBA ready when he was coming into the draft, but he's done pretty well there. So offensively, as Monte Ellis was says, he has it all. He has the full package. Now, whether he taps into that package will be completely tap into that package will be a thing that we will see in the future. But their early returns tells me that I'm fairly certain he will. You know, what I love about both of these players, but I guess in particular, in this case, it would be Mobley because you're right, he is a big, is they have a good patience, right? They have good understanding of offensive sets of in the NBA, especially. So they're not doing a lot of silly things on offense, like forcing, right? They play within themselves. And I think Mobley, for a guy who doesn't really have that sort of NBA-ready body, as we sort of discussed, Eric, I think that's really important because you can't afford to make silly mistakes when you're a guy that's a bit, you know, not that he's undersized, but he's definitely underweight at his position, right? He's around like 215 pounds. He's very skinny. But a guy like that to be able to consistently make plays, whether it be on the interior or being smart enough to shrink away to the perimeter, like you said, Eric, I think that's very important too. Well, the other thing, Eric, you know, you bring up his his playmaking and also just his ability to fit into an offense. Let's not forget that apart from just being a big, he's sharing the floor a lot with a big who can't shoot, like a Jared Allen, right? In those situations, he has to operate in less space that's probably optimal for a player like him. But he's not just a guy who can only do something like that, because he's also become an elite post player in the times where he has the opportunity to, like say when he's paired with someone like Kevin Love, and he gets to be on the inside. So the fact that he can really slot into a four or five offensively, and you know, and even have the offense run through them, have sets run through them, as Anu said, is truly remarkable. So both these guys are super impressive, and I'm going to ask you guys then if we had to make a choice between them, tell me why your guy should make it and the other guy shouldn't specifically. All right. Well, if I was to go first in this scenario, um, I'll say it like this. Throughout the whole year, and this is the case, I think, with a lot of teams, but the Raptors especially have had to play with minimal bodies and really key important players not playing. Pascal Siakam in the beginning of the season, out. OG Ananobi, throughout the little bit of the midseason until now recently, He's been out. He's he came back recently. Scotty Barnes has played in a majority of the games, right? And he's kind of the, one of the biggest reasons why the Raptors are still sort of within the contention in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. You know, he's a super dependable guy. I think Nick Nurse has kind of put too much on his shoulders as a rookie. But again, he's a top top five pick, right? So I guess it's also sort of that expectation. And he's sort of lived up to those expectations, Right, He's a guy who night in, night out has the toughest defensive assignments, still has to be a contributor on offense. You know, Even though he's a rookie, mistakes are really not tolerated that much in the NBA, and he's made minimal mistakes so far. So if we had to compare them you know, in terms of offense and defense, it's, it's hard because a lot of the things both of them do are fairly similar, honestly. But I still think that some of the things that Scotty Barnes does outweighs the positives that Mobley really has has for his team, honestly. So for my guy, I'll look at it like this. We had a big drafted last year 
and James Wiseman, hella great measurables, put into a great situation playing with Draymond Green and Steph Curry, and uh, what's going to be a Hall of Fame caliber head coach is Steve Kerr, and he wasn't that good. On the other hand, my guy, another big who was highly touted, he was drafted to a team that, for all intents and purposes, sucked, a coach who wasn't particularly proven, a Kevin Love who has a pedigree, but he didn't want to be there, and put with another big in a situation that's suboptimal, and in every advanced statistic you can point out, whether that's VORP, you know, value of replacement level player, whether that's box plus minus, defensive plus minus, whether that's PER, whether that's win shares, win shares per 48 minutes, my guy leads in a situation that wasn't optimal. Look, Nick Nurse as a coach is better than the coach that the Cavs have, at least by resume. The Raptors still have guys on their team that won a championship a couple of years ago. OG's still there. Pascal, though he didn't play a lot, is still there. There are guys, Fred Van Fleet, still there, a proven point guard. His situation he was put in, Scotty Barnes, is a better situation than my guy Evan Mobley was put in. But my guy, by any measure, is doing slightly better than Scotty. Now, the, the gulf between them isn't huge, but one's on a better team, as far as record, playing a position with more emphasis on it defensively and with a higher learning curve for the position he plays which is a big and he's doing better i i don't see how that isn't a win for evan mobley well if i can comment on the oh we have this guy they have this guy i'm pretty sure that the Cavs have a guy who's in contention for most improved player by the name of darius garland and that guy is no, no slouch either, right? I mean, he's been a yeah, big no reason as to why the Cavs have had a lot of success, been healthy this season. Now, granted, Colin Sexton, you know, he's been out for at least, I would say, half of the games they've been played they played so far. Sure, I'll give you that. But that roster is no scrubs at all. You know what I mean? Jared Allen, an elite defensive big in his own right. You know, good offensive role man, great lob threat. Even a guy like Kevin Loves, he can still contribute to the team. It's not like he can't. He's been injured in and out of the lineup, too. And again, I don't want to play the whole injury game. Everyone's been injured, right? But I wouldn't say that the Cavs roster is as bad as you're sort of framing it out to be, even though last year the success rate didn't look that good. I mean, hey, the Raptors looked like complete dog shit last year, too, right? But, you know, you can't compare it based on a last year basis. Look at what the team's doing this year. That's that's fair. I think if we were to do some type of random bet every time about which team would have finished higher and wins losses. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Cavs, we all would have taken them to be fairly far down, but you're right. We can only go on what's happening this year. I do think still that the foundation was there for the Raptors versus the Cavs. I, I didn't see any conceivable way that the Cavs will be doing as well as they are. And one guy still plays a more difficult position, particularly what's expected from that person on the defensive end and what that position brings as far as impact. And that's Evan Mobley. So this is the part where as the unofficial moderator, I'm supposed to pick a winner. But being the cop-out coward that I am, I'm actually going to say you both did a great <laughs> job. I'm going to abstain from this so I won't be wrong no matter which 
way I, you know, I tip the scale. That being said, guys, I'm here to start a little bit of shit. I'm going to give my own <laughs> nominee for this award. How about one, Franz Wagner, who right now <laughs> is officially leading the rookie ladder on NBA.com in the rookie of the year race above both of your guys. Why can't he be the rookie of the year? Oh, AC, great. So you're you're trying to open up the per, like the memorial Michael Carter Williams award for a guy who <laughs> who has some stats on a bad team. They have seven fucking wins and you know and I know it's easier for a young guy to get those counting stats on a terrible team than these two guys who are getting their stats on teams that are actually in contention. You're just playing devil's advocate, and you know and I know he doesn't deserve it over those two guys. Who, me, devil's advocate? Come on now. <laughs> you would never do that. I would never do something like that. I mean, as soon as we start trusting NBA.com rookie ladder races, that's when I know this podcast is going to shit. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be doing that. Come on, fellas. No, but, I, I, you know, I had f- funny reference there, Eric, to uh, when you mentioned Michael Carter-Williams. I got a little story for you. So our co-host, Aswi, who couldn't make this pod, but is editing our podcast. Uh, so you'll see his name at the bottom of the, of the show notes. He, being a Sixers fan and being the hopeless believer that he is, was all on board Mike Carter-Williams to the point that he got this ball that was signed by MCW and thought that this would be so valid. We had it like in his room, in a little case. And then, of course, Michael Carter's Michael Carter-Williams' career went to shit. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's easy to put you know up what's... stats on a bad team. You know what's funny about Michael Carter-Williams? Doesn't he play for the Magic, too? He does, yeah. So he'll be he'll be part of making this guy, Franz Wagner, the next Rookie of the Year, just because of his counting stats. Done so well contributing to those seven wins this season. There, You know, I it's bet, funny. I bet, I bet Oswee's the type of guy who buys stock in AOL. <laughs> What's funny about the thing with us, right? He gets so excited, especially when the Sixers were complete dog shit. It would be so funny to hear us talk about any player at the the Sixers would sign. Like, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy for us. I still remember when he would like tell me all about Nerlens Noel when they got him, and I was like, oh my god, dude, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, dude, there's been a lot of guys. No, Jaleel, no, no yeah. way. He was telling you about Jaleel. I I don't even want to believe that. <laughs> no, 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 no really. Way. He was out. He was pretty okay. on Jaleel. So, because I'm about to say he, he was he was already when he came into the league he had like an anachronistic skill set. Yeah, that no. everyone knew he was just gonna suck. I, I was just I was just uh, picking at Sixers poor picks from the past. So we we didn't even we can talk Fair about enough. Fultz as well. There's, it's just like an endless parade of them. But getting back to this discussion, so I think you guys make compelling cases. I, you know, if you look at any advanced stats, it has to be one of these two guys. Baseball we've seen right now, it'd be a travesty if. You know, the the lazy media just votes for Franz Wagner based upon him just putting up basic counting stats on a shitty team. I do have to ask you guys, though, is there any chance that Cade or Jalen Green or one of the other guys could maybe make a race out of this by the end of the season? Or do you think it really just does come down to these two people? I mean, for Jalen Green, I don't think there's any way. First of all, when he was playing... He was really bad. Like, he started off the season extremely poor in comparison to his other rookies, especially being the second pick in the draft. Like, kind of unacceptably bad. 
And then he's been injured a lot throughout the season. So no, he's been me, a bit of a run recently, Anu, since he came back from that injury. So that's what I'm saying. He's starting to show some flashes. I don't know if it'll be enough. Their team's going to suck all season I, long. Yeah. That's just the thing, right? It's another team, like you said, that's sort of just the same, same situation with Franz Wagner. It's counting stats, right? They're not going to play for anything. So if Jalen Green does put up some good numbers here and there, then, I mean, hey, kudos to him. But it's not impactful basketball, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And not to say that traditionally rookie of the year is contingent on your team making the playoffs, but usually if you have guys who are on teams that are in playoff contention and they're also doing great with their advanced stats amongst rookies and the other guys are getting counting stats and they're not particularly efficient or have as much of an impact as far as advanced metrics, and they play for shit teams like Cade or Jalen, like, nah, dog. Like, we ain't doing that shit. I don't see no way. This ain't no LeBron willing a 10-win team to 35 wins in his rookie year <laughs> against Carmelo Anthony, who who actually made it to the playoffs, you know, won 40-something games his first year. This is, like, the difference between potential, like, 45-win to 50-win teams and – like teams that are going to win like 15 games. Like, nah, we're not doing that. It, it does make me think though, guys, like this is an incredible rookie class. Cause we didn't even talk about Josh Giddy or some of the lower late first round picks, even guys, you know, in the late second round or undrafted guys, like someone on the Lakers, like Austin Reeves making a big impact this season. It, it seems like there's been impact players throughout both rounds this year, which, you know, credit to the scouts in the NBA and, you know, all the college coaches and all the, some of these guys didn't even go the college route. So throughout, you know, we have a huge influx of talent coming into the NBA. So it's awesome. Shout out to Josh Giddy. Yeah, I mean, my brother's a for whatever reason a big Josh Giddy guy too. I don't, I don't know what it is about him, but I mean, he's a guy who you know, obviously they're not playing any sort of meaningful basketball in Oklahoma, but he shows signs of being able to be a great playmaker. You know, he's a fantastic rebounder. He has great size, six eight, playing that like shooting guard position. You know, I feel like he can be a really interesting player in the next couple of years. And I want to go back a bit and talk a little bit more about Cade, right? Because I think Cade would probably be the the most likely person out of the two guys we just discussed today to maybe have a chance at winning Rookie of the Year. Now, Cade is a phenomenal player, right? I mean, even though the Detroit Pistons are not winning at all, he's doing a good job, right? He came back off of an injury, is averaging, I think, like 18, like 6-6. Six and six. So good counting stats, obviously. He's showing signs of being a good playmaker, good scorer. But I just don't think defensively he's come along at all in comparison to the two guys we're talking about who are not only good offensive players in their own right, but are fantastic and potentially generationally great defenders. So Cade is just not there yet for me. Yeah, and and if, as you guys suggested, wins have any role at all to play in this year's race, the Pistons are very likely going to have one of the top three lottery picks, by the way, this season's gone for them so far. So, you know, that may be, to some voters, will rule out Cade Cunningham. Yeah, facts. I, I think, I mean, he started the season late. When he started, he's had a rough stretch of sorts. And he's come along lately, but I, <laughs> he doesn't seem to have much impact on wins and losses. So I, w- I would love to see like a like an impact value metric on Cade. But yeah, I, I suspect strongly that compared to the guys that 
we both advocated for, he's fairly far behind them. And yeah, and like in in fairness to Cade too, I mean, his teammates are Jeremy Grant and a guy who almost tried to kill LeBron, right? So like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't really have too many uh, notable guys he's playing with, so it, it's tough. But you know, I, I feel like definitely within the next couple of years, Cade can definitely make some noise in Detroit. And I know that our our Pistons guy Deesh would definitely love to see that for sure. I know you mentioned. Jeremy Grant, he's barely even played this season. And when he's played, he's been hurt. So that roster is horrible. And sometimes that's a curse of being a good young player, right? You're the highly touted player in college and you come into a franchise that's utter shit and you're expected to turn it around immediately. And sometimes it happens. Usually it doesn't. And that's why it's even more remarkable that Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley have come immediately and become winning players. The winning part of it, like their play is translated to actual tangible wins. And it's captured by stats like win shares. But beyond that, it's captured on film and all the little things that stats can't possibly capture. So, you know, if you guys are really rooting for these guys going forward, I'd be pretty excited if I was y'all. Yeah, I had to I had to pick a guy between them. But let me add, I actually like seeing Scotty Barnes play. And I expect him in the next upcoming years to be a very good impact player. And I could definitely see like all stars in his future. Definitely will seize like being in contention for defensive player of the year and making all defensive teams. So yeah, I, I don't see you going wrong picking either one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember when we, we drafted him, right? Now, a lot of the people that I know, the other Raptors fans that I, that I live with here in, in Toronto, they were really unsure about Scotty, right? Because the, the more popular pick, because Lowry was moving on to the Heat, was Jalen Suggs, who also plays for the Magic, who are complete dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is kind of funny. But, but Franz, though. Uh, for me, <laughs> yeah, but Franz, though. But um, <laughs> no, I, I when we drafted Scotty, I was, again, I was a bit unsure because, like, of course, the big name was Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga, right? Everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to be the next point god, you know, something crazy along those lines. But no, no one talked about Scotty. I didn't even know which college he went to. I had to do a bunch of research to learn more about him. But as soon as I started to learn more about him, I started to think to myself, oh, this is the guy for us. Because, again, he just provides things that a lot of young players coming into the league just don't provide, right? Defensive versatility. It's so big in the NBA, but not a lot of players can actually provide defensive versatility, like a Mobley or a Scotty Barnes, especially at that young of an age. So to me, I was just... Completely enamored with the dude. So, yes, Eric, I, I am in love with, with Scotty Barnes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I, I, you know, I've been on this stand horse for Evan Mobley since the draft. So, you know, I, I find these guys and then I become like stupidly bullish about them. So, <laughs> and then he, like, but, but for good reason, right? And then he changes his allegiance to whatever team he's rooting for, too. When he realizes, <laughs> yeah. he realizes he's, he's so, so just uh, before we close out here, Eric. What's your official fan stats right now? What's the team you're rooting for most? Because it certainly was the Lakers, and then you completely jumped off the bandwagon, and you know you jumped on the Cavs. Uh, you had a brief flotation with the Wizards earlier this year. So wh- where's the where's the fan bandwagon status right now? We need a camera that just tracks which bandwagon you're jumping on from moment to moment. Um, I mean, right now I'm momentarily uh, in love with the Lakers. And maybe tomorrow it will be the Cavs or the Bulls. Who knows? I don't. I mean, look, I don't want to make hard, concrete, like 
definitions for myself. I mean, I'm I'm a polygamist with my relationships with these scenes, and I have more <laughs> than enough love to go around. You know what's funny about Eric? The meme that describes you perfectly is that Homer Simpson meme where he like dives into the bushes and then he comes out wearing like a new like gear, new shirt and everything with the whatever team he's following. <laughs> and I, I think that meme is usually described as shit on LeBron fans, so it's appropriate here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I'm a perfect like, meme I, for Eric. I am whatever team my favorite like player at the time who's doing well. Whatever team he's on, that's my team. So it is what it is. We know how I am. Next year, it'll be the Cavs. And year after that, you know, or five years from now, when Evan Mobley gets traded, it's going to be some other team. So, like, don't try to tie me down. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is kind of going a bit away from what we're talking about. But, I mean, the NBA is in such a good place where it's – you can be a fan of so many different teams. There's so many fun, exciting teams to watch this uh, this time around in this season, right? So that's true. It's just interesting. So I guess we're going to have a lot of fans like Eric that just jump around all over the place. But hey, I mean, so many exciting teams to watch. Polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, I think that's a fantastic place to stop. I mean, AC, you were the you know third party here, and you declared that there wasn't really a winner, which I was a coward. A full coward, I admit it. You know what? We had a great discussion. Everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to subscribe, comment, rate, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to email us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com and hit us up on Instagram too at brownmenwontjump. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in and peace out. Take care. Deuces. Peace.